Hey, history enthusiasts, you get not one, but two events in history today. With that said, on with the show. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we learn a smidgen of history every day. The day was May 7th, 1994. Just about three months after it was stolen, Edvard Munch's painting, The Scream, was recovered from a hotel room in Norway. Munch created four versions of The Scream, a well-known expressionistic work depicting a person screaming in anguish. One of those versions, the 1893 painting made with tempera on cardboard, was in the National Museum in Oslo. As the 1994 Winter Olympics were approaching, the museum moved the scream to the ground floor gallery. Even though the ground floor is typically the riskiest floor when it comes to potential for art theft, the museum had safety systems like cameras and alarms. But on February 12, 1994, the day of the Olympics opening ceremony in Norway, two men arrived at the National Gallery in a van. They leaned a ladder against a wall, broke a window, and climbed inside the building to steal the valuable painting. At around 6.30 in the morning, the museum's alarm was triggered. A guard called the police, but the men had already cut the scream off the wall and escaped with the painting. The whole operation only took 50 seconds and was captured on tape by a surveillance camera. The thieves left a postcard in the gallery that read, thanks for the poor security. Some people believe that the theft was a publicity stunt. It would be nearly impossible to sell a famous stolen work of art. A former priest and leader in the anti-abortion movement did a radio interview less than a week after the theft, where he claimed the painting would turn up if the national television company aired an anti-abortion film called The Silent Scream. That never happened. In early March, a lawyer working for the anti-abortion movement said one of his clients could provide for the painting's return if he was paid a million dollars. That claim was also dismissed. When the National Gallery received a ransom demand of $1 million, they refused to pay it. But the assistant police chief in Oslo did enlist the Scotland Yard squad that specializes in art and antiquities theft to help solve the crime and get the painting back. They mounted a sting operation to catch the people who were seeking the ransom and planted a rumor that the National Gallery set up a deal with the Getty Museum in California, where the Getty would pay the ransom if it could borrow the painting after it was returned. The thieves took the bait. In late April and early May, police found pieces of the painting's frame at a bus stop and other places in Nittedal near Oslo. But detectives reached the end of their trail when two British agents posing as officials from the Getty Museum said they would pay for the painting. On Saturday, May 7th, they viewed the painting in room 525 of the Hotel Oskarstrand. Then they went to the Grand Hotel in Oslo, where they were supposed to pay the ransom. There, three people were arrested, though one, an art dealer who the gallery's chairman had enlisted as a go-between, was soon let off. The painting was recovered and undamaged. In 1996, four men were convicted for theft and attempting to sell stolen property. Paul Inyer, who had been to prison before for stealing another Munch work, received a sentence of six years and three months in prison. 
But because the British detectives working on the case entered Norway using false identities, which was illegal, the convictions of three of the thieves were overturned and they were released in 1998. And Yer, who remained in prison, escaped when he had a little over a year left to serve. In early 1999, he dipped off during a group visit to a new Oslo airport. After two weeks, he was found at a rail station wearing dark glasses and a wig. The National Gallery improved its security after the ordeal. In 2004, another version of the screen was stolen from the Munch Museum in Norway. It was recovered two years later, though damaged. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. I have one interesting additional note for you. The 1895 pastel version of the Scream sold at auction for $119.9 million in 2012. We'd love it if you left us a comment on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Hi, everyone. I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a podcast that brings you a new slice of history every day. The day was May 7, 1794. The cult of the Supreme Being was authorized by a decree of the National Convention, which was the first government of the French Revolution. Maximilien Robespierre, a Jacobin leader who played an important role in the revolution, created the cult of the supreme being in order to establish a national religion based on deism. In 1789, Robespierre was elected as a deputy to the Estates General. The Estates General was a general assembly that represented the French estates of the realm. But in June, as the French Revolution began, the Third Estate redefined itself as the National Assembly, and Robespierre became a deputy of the National Assembly. He became increasingly popular as he spoke out against the monarchy and supported democratic reforms. Robespierre supported the Declaration of the Rights of Man and of the Citizen, and he advocated for universal male suffrage. He opposed slavery in France and French territories. And he went up against the Catholic Church, the official church of France, by opposing the requirement of celibacy for the clergy. Influenced by Enlightenment philosophies, Robespierre also opposed the cult of reason, an atheistic cult that rejected the Catholic Church and championed reason and liberty. During the Enlightenment in France, the Catholic Church was criticized for many reasons. More French people were becoming frustrated with the church's power, wealth, mistreatment of religious minorities, links with the monarchy, and restrictions of individual liberty. As the revolution ramped up and the French monarchy fell in 1792, anti-clerical sentiment grew. Catholicism became the target of a lot of revolutionaries' resentment. A movement of dechristianization grew out of this environment. Priests who continued practicing faced arrest and deportation. Public worship was prohibited. Relics and symbols of Christianity were seized and destroyed. Churches were closed and converted for use as warehouses and stables. In the case of the Cult of Reason, churches were converted into so-called Temples of Reason. The Cult of Reason represented an attempt to find a religion to replace Catholicism. Meanwhile, Robespierre was orchestrating the Reign of Terror, a period when the revolutionary government ordered harsh measures and death against supposed enemies of the revolution. 
While the Cult of Reason had many followers, it also had detractors, including Robespierre. He rejected the Cult of Reason as running counter to his goal of creating a stable and virtuous republic. He wanted to form a religion that still recognized a higher power, so he created the Cult of the Supreme Being. It recognized a supreme deity and the immortality of the soul, which would appease people with religious beliefs and inspire moral behavior. On May 7, 1794, Robespierre gave a speech to the National Convention, partly on the relationship between religious ideas and Republican principles. The convention passed a decree to officially establish the Cult of the Supreme Being. The Festival of the Supreme Being was held on June 8th, and it included speeches and a ceremony. But the cult did not gain any real momentum. Its ideas weren't that convincing, and Robespierre, who cast himself as its leader, wasn't fit for the role. Some believed the cult marked the end of dechristianization or the reign of terror, but revolutionary violence continued. Robespierre was executed just weeks after the festival on July 28th, and the cult soon fell by the wayside. After Napoleon came to power in France in 1799, Catholicism was restored in the country. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can send them to us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. You can also follow us on social media. We're at T-D-I-H-C podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.